Father, I pray for those that are struggling with defeat, that are struggling, Lord, with trouble in their marriage, in their finances, struggling with trouble in their mind, uh, trouble in their marriage. Whatever it may be, God, we are praying the victory in Jesus' name today over that family, over that mind, over that financial situation. God, that you would receive the glory and that that individual, that marriage, that family in this church might be stronger for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Hey, this morning we are in our Timeless Testament series, going through the major stories of the Bible, uh, the Old Testament, and we have gone uh, through the book, and we're into Joshua. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. Title of this morning's message is, When Trouble Defeats. We're going to talk about when trouble defeats a troop. When trouble defeats a troop. And maybe uh, you felt defeated sometime in this life. I know it's common to all men we're, and women. We're all going to feel defeated at some time. And maybe troubles have got you down today. Uh, or if not, save this message for later because they may probably more likely get you down a little bit later. Or maybe troubles come against your family or your marriage. Uh, I want you to know that God has a process for your victory. Somebody said amen. God's got a plan. He's got a process through Jesus Christ. But if we look at this, and I know God's got my victory, why is it that believers still suffer uh, mental problems, emotional problems? Why is it that, that the uh, believers still suffer marital problems? Uh, and why is it that so many churches have church problems, right? So we're going to talk about when trouble defeats and how we're going to look at our victories uh, today, but we're also going to look at our defeats and how they affect our relationship with others and it's simply this, every single one of us, we're all together in a fight of faith. Paul tells Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. We are all in a fight of faith, and how you win and how you lose affects everyone around you. You know that? How you win and how you lose affects every single person around you. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I want you to win the fight. And I want you to turn to your other neighbor and say, stay out of trouble. Okay, good. So now you know who's the one you got to worry about. All right. When trouble defeats. Very good. Look with me in Joshua chapter 7. Let me give you the background. Israel has followed by faith Joshua, the Savior. That's what his name means. In the presence of God in the ark. Okay? They have followed by faith the Spirit of God and the Savior. Think about the parallels here. Into new territory. And they have consecrated themselves. It was a process. God would baptize them in water. He would guide them by his spirit. He would crucify the flesh in their life. They would get circumcised of, of flesh and of heart, uh, and they would cleanse themselves. And then they would celebrate Passover all on the other side of this new experience into the new land of Canaan, the new land of Israel, the promised land. And as they begin to consecrate themselves and cleanse themselves and celebrate Passover and remember the Lamb of their deliverance, they continue to apply the blood to their hearts and their homes. There stood in the way to the promise of God, the fortified city of Jericho. And Jericho stood in the way of God's promises in their life. But because of their faith and following the process and the plan of God, God gave a mighty victory in Jericho. Now here we are. On the other side of Jericho, Jericho's walls have fallen down, and God, though, has put the entire city on a ban. He's put the city on a ban in Joshua chapter 6, 
uh, verse 17 through 19, God would tell them through Joshua that every person and everything in this city, this wicked city, was to be destroyed. And he says the reason is that Israel would not fall into idolatry. They were to keep nothing that they plundered the city with. Everything was to be destroyed. Everyone was to be killed. Everything was to be burned with fire. And anything that would survive the fire, like silver and gold and precious metals, would be taken to the house of the Lord because God was claiming this victory as his own. It wasn't their victory. It was God's victory. And so everything was owed to God. Joshua gave that strict warning, and he says in Joshua 6, uh, verse 18, they should not covet anything in the city nor take anything under the ban lest they make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble. Everybody say trouble. On it. They were to make the camp of Israel a curse, and they would bring trouble on all who were in Israel if they would take anything off the band. So here we go. Fast forward. Now we move to a town called Ai. All right? And so they've got their, they've just beat one of the biggest, baddest cities in the land, and now we're ready to move on. Let's go. So they move on to this next place. It's called Ai. Ai. It's about a town of 12,000 individuals up on the tall mountain. And so it was a long journey, and it was a hard journey. And so, hey, we just had this great victory. So the people tell Joshua, hey, Joshua, just take uh, two, 3,000 guys. Let us just go up there, wipe them out. Let's move on. It's no big deal because we just had, God was with, with Jericho, and now let's move on. So Joshua says, okay, fine, take 3,000 men, you go up there. Well, they go up to this, uh, this town, this city of about 12,000 people, maybe another, maybe it was an equal comparison of, of soldiers, three, 4,000 soldiers on their side, some on our side, but hey, we know God, God is with us, we've done something great, fears in the land. They go up there, but man, all of a sudden, the tide turns and their 3,000 soldiers begin to run back down the hill. Israel is being attacked. Uh, the, the battle is not being won. And 36 guys get killed. 36 of Israel's soldiers get killed. And they come back to Joshua and say, what in the world is going on? God was not with us. And their hearts begin to melt. Why have we lost this battle? And why wasn't God with us? So Joshua, he falls to his face before the presence of God. The elders put ashes on their head. They begin to weep all night long into the night. And then here we have Joshua chapter 7, verse 11. Look there with me. God says to Joshua, get up. What are you doing on your face? He says, Israel has sinned, and they've also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. And they have even taken some of the things under the ban and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put, uh, them, put them among their own things. Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before the enemies, before they have, uh, for they have become accursed. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst." So he tells Joshua, okay, consecrate the people. You can't stand before your enemies. You've got to remove these items. He says, Joshua, here's what I want you to do. I want you to cast lots. It's kind of like throwing, a, uh, throwing the dice or flipping a coin. Uh, but the priests had these uh, elements, this Urim and the Thummim, uh, part of their breastplate. Some people think it was that. Basically, the Spirit would have going to guide them to choose something. God says, I want you to bring all the 12 tribes, one, the head of every 12 tribe. I want you to cast lots, and it's going to lead you to one. So Joshua does that. He cast 12 guys of the 12 tribes come in, cast lots. It leads to Judah. And then he says, okay, all the clans of Judah, all the major families of Judah come one by one in front of him. So the heads of all those tribes, and one by one they come, and he casts lots. No, no, no. And finally, he comes to one. Yes, yours. 
And so of that clan, then he says, all the heads of all the families come. And all the family, heads of the families come. And he casts lots. No, 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 no. And finally, he picks one. And in that family, he picks all the men in that family. And he brings them and all the households. And one by one, he comes. No, no, no. And this would have taken hours and hours. And finally, they come to one man. His name is Achan. He's the grandson of Judah. And his grandmother would be Tamar. So it was a troubled union. That family had a, a, a kind of a, a bad tree, if you would. And Joshua begins to plead with Achan. And he says, I'm imploring you, tell me what you did. Tell me the truth. Don't hide anything from me. And look in uh, verse uh, 20. Achan begins to respond. He says, truly, I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw a spoil of beautiful mantle from Shinar, now Shinar is Babylon, by the way, and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, I coveted them and I took them and behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent and then the silver is underneath that. What did he do? He coveted and he stole. And Bible, the Bible says, God says he deceived Achan's not this poor man. You'll find out that he's got a, a whole family. He's got donkeys and chickens and goats, and he's got the whole thing. So he's not a poor man, but he's still coveted. He stole this beautiful robe, hundreds of dollars of silver and gold. And so they take Achan. They take his tent. They take the items. They take his donkeys. They take his sheep. They even take his children, probably older children. He didn't have a wife, we don't think. And he takes this family. They take him out into the valley outside of the camp. And Joshua says to him, he says, now, remember what God's word was that, hey, it's going to bring trouble on you. He says, Joshua says to him, why have you troubled us? Now the Lord will trouble you. And they stoned all of them, burned them with fire, piled stones on Achan's grave, and they named that valley the Valley of Trouble. Whew, that's kind of, a, kind of an intense story, right? What does it have to do with us today? What does it have to do with us today? From that moment on, God would come and he would begin to give them victory over AI and they'd go and they'd have this awesome plan and defeat them. But what I want to talk about today is simply this. A little trouble defeats a whole troop. A little bit of trouble can defeat a whole troop. It was only 36 men in battle of thousands. But here's the deal. You say, well, Pastor Heath, there was 36 men, 3,000 people. Man, that's, isn't that an acceptable loss? Wouldn't you think? Like if we had a, an, a battle today and we, you know, we have Iraq and Iran and all this stuff going on, we send 3,000 troops and we think 36 are lost. Man, that's bad. But you kind of think, well, that's just part of warfare, right? Well, here's the deal. They went against Jericho with no defeat, no scratches, uh, no nothing. Most fortified city, they have this big standard. They go to this little uh, podunk town up in the mountains. That's 12,000 people. It's pretty big back then. But simply, they didn't have, it wasn't like Jericho, much smaller. And 36 people lost. Immediately, they begin to weep as if God was not with them. Why? They expected total victory. You know what I think about that? We don't expect total victory very much in the Christian life. We have things we, we put in our mind and say, well, I'm only human. Jesus was perfect. I'm not perfect. Don't judge me. I'm, I mean, we all kind of sin a little bit. It's just a little bit of X, Y, Z. Okay, don't, don't, don't judge me. This is, it's just human. It's part of the human life. 
But Joshua and them expected total victory over the enemy. Now think about that. Do we expect total victory in the Christian life? The Bible tells us that Jesus has supplied us all that we need. He gives the Holy Spirit. He's given victory over sin. Now we think, well, okay, we're all going to sin. We're all going to continue. Yeah, and that's probably true. But do we expect victory? What level of victory are you expecting in your life over the enemy, over sin, over problems that you encounter? What level of victory? What's an acceptable loss and what's acceptable sin in our life? Think about it. What do we kind of say? Well, that's just part of being an American. That's just part of doing that. That's just part of that. And we're all guilty. I'm guilty of it, too. But I want to recalibrate and really think about maybe there's a victory that God has for us that's better than what we're getting right now. Think about it. Maybe there's a bigger revival around the corner for our church than where we are at right now. Maybe there's a better season of your marriage than you're having right now because we're saying, well, there's an acceptable loss. There's some acceptable things that we think, well, that's just common defeats. Those are common problems, and they would be for any other army, but we're the army of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's look at this today. I'm going to give you three words, connection, confession, and condemnation that we're going to look at in this passage. I want to expect victory in the Christian life. And what Joshua begins to learn in that moment is that defeat was not God's fault. He says, Joshua, why are you looking at me? The problem is sin is in the camp. It's not my fault. I'm giving you complete victory. I've promised you every place you'll place your foot, I'll give you. But yet, here's the issue. Look at this. This is the connection part. God repeatedly says this. He says, they sinned. Over and over again, you look in this passage multiple times. He says, they sinned, they sinned, they sinned. But you think, wait a minute. It was one dude over there. He sinned, God. What are you blaming me for? That guy sinned. Why is it that God said, they sinned? All of Israel has sinned. Trouble is coming upon Israel. But that, that God then found one by one by one. Let's go to this guy. It's him. Israel was a covenant community. He was a family of faith. Just like you and I, we're part of the family of faith today. And, and it was the job in this family, this community, they were all bound together in the covenant of God. And it was the job of every neighbor and each family member, every man, woman, boy, and girl, to keep the community clean. So if one sinned, they all experienced the trouble of that sin. In a sense, God was using this as a warning. He was using this as a warning to the whole camp to say, guess what, guys? It is your responsibility to make sure your house is in order. It's your responsibility to keep your neighbor accountable, to encourage them in the faith. It is your responsibility, if you see something out of order, that we would go to God and say, God, let let us work on our community. If if we uh, have our leaders and our leaders aren't right, man, we need to elect the leaders that God has called that are walking in holiness and truth because it's going to affect the whole community. We say, well, Pastor Heath, God doesn't do that today. God doesn't kill people like that. God doesn't just single people out for other people's sins. It doesn't kind of work that way, right? Let's look in Acts chapter 5. There's a story called about two people called Ananias and Sapphira. And here's a story for this. And you say, well, this isn't like, this is Old Testament. This is all, well, let's look at the New Testament. Acts chapter 5, there's a story, man. Uh, God is moving in revival Uh, The Spirit of God is moving in revival in the early church. There is unity. There is love. And God is sending out missionaries. And and people are selling their their property and giving to one another and giving to the poor. They're starting a food bank. And signs and wonders are happening. And people are just coming in by the thousands to the Lord. And God is winning. God is winning. But there's this one guy named Ananias. 
And so while all these people are selling their property, he says, well, uh, I'm going to sell my property too. So he goes, sells the property, gets the money for it. Let's say it was $10,000 for that piece of property. And he goes into Peter, and he's going to give the $10,000 to Peter, but he thinks, you know what? I really could use some extra cash right now. So he keeps $3,000 of it, or however much, he says. Keeps $3,000 of it, so he only gives Peter $7,000. He says, Peter, this is the whole price of my property. That sold it. Man, it was only $7,000. Here you go. I'm going to put this in the offering plate. Man, the Holy Spirit comes upon Peter, and God gives him a word of knowledge. He says, Ananias, you haven't lied to men, but you've lied to God. And immediately, he fell down dead at Peter's feet. The ushers don't know what to do. You know, it would be kind of crazy altar call. And so they come, they take the body out. They don't know what to do. They take it back to the fellowship hall. I don't know. The dude's dead. What do we do? Okay. Three hours later, because they had church a long time. Three hours later, the wife comes in, has no clue. Her husband's dead in the fellowship hall. She comes in, and Peter goes up to her and says, Hey, Sapphira, did you sell that, that, that field for $7,000 X amount of money? And she says, oh, yeah, brother. Man, it was just great. So glad. God's good. God, glory to God. Hallelujah. And he says, boop. Man, she falls dead, too. The ushers come in. Dude, Peter, you can't keep doing this all day long. We're not going to have a church after a while. And they carry her out. And fear, the Bible says, great fear came across the whole church. Why? Because God is interested in victory. God has victory in mind for his church. And he wasn't going to let the sin of that begin to corrode the great thing he was doing in Jerusalem. He was, God is serious about sin. I don't know if you know this or not. But he is serious about sin. And when they begin to lie and to cheat to God and to bring that kind of corruption into the midst of revival, God says, I'm going to make an example of them because their heart is not right. They were wicked in their hearts, and they were unrepentant when Peter called them out. So what does our defeat begin to cost everyone else in our community? The Bible says that sin separates and it contaminates, despite the independent spirit of today that we have in America. I don't know if you know, but we're all linked to others. Your victory and your defeat will always have a profound effect on those around you. Your victory will be somebody else's victory. Your defeat will be somebody else's defeat. And Paul said it this way in the Corinthian church, uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, 5 and 6. He says, don't you know that a little leaven will leaven the whole lump of dough? So clean out the old leaven so that you, this community of faith, will be a new lump. He told the Corinthian church, he said, this church was messed up now. They had all kinds of problems. He told them, he said, guys, the reason so many of you are weak, So many of you are sick, and even some of you are dying before your time. The reason that's happening in your church is because there are secret divisions among you. There are racial prejudices among you. There's economical divisions among you. And when you take communion together, you sit rich and poor. You sit black and white, and you're not one under God. And it has grieved the Spirit of God so that the blessing of God is not on your personal health and your spiritual health. Whew. Amen, right? And then he tells the elders, he says, there's even one among you that is doing some really bad sexually immoral stuff, and everybody knows it, and nobody's addressed it, and you haven't kicked this guy out, and he's never repented, and he's still willfully into this uh, bad stuff that he's in. He says, you guys need to begin to prune the church. You guys need to begin to take those who are willful in willful sin and put them out. Otherwise, that sin is going to begin to corrupt the whole community of faith. 
And in verse 11 to verse 28 and 1 Corinthians says, I'm calling on the believers that when you guys come together to worship, when you guys come together to eat, when you come together to take communion, let a man examine himself before he worships together in the church. That we are to be one with our brothers and sisters across the aisle. We're to be a family of faith. And you know, sin is like this virus. It begins to attack not only the host, but it begins to spread. Man, it's the flu season, right? Man, it's like you walk in and you just want to have a hazmat suit on. And when you go to the mall or to Walmart, you don't want to touch anything, right? Because you know it's out there, right? And that's like sin. Sin is this virus that begins to not only get the host, but it begins to spread to a whole community. Men, if you're walking in sin, it's going to be a lot harder for your whole family to walk in the Lord. That's how that works. And so when one spouse is going one way and one spouse is going the other, it's so much harder for that family to be cohesive, united, and have the victory. Amen? This is common sense, right? Think about this way. When the pastor falls, the whole church suffers. When a ministry leader falls, the whole church suffers. When a husband and wife fall, the whole family suffer. Sir, when that secret lust has been warring in your mind, it's going to affect your marriage. Or ma'am, when that you're complaining always about your husband to your mom or your sisters or whoever, your friends, it's going to affect your marriage, whether you, it's public knowledge or not. It will. It will eat away at your marriage. Or you think about parents, how you're handling the arguments at home, how you're fighting, how you're talking to one another, how you uh, lash out in anger at one another. It's going to affect your kids. It's not going to just stay with you two. It's going to begin to move. Or I think about it this way, men... If men are not leading worship and standing and and praising God and leading the church in worship, man, it affects the whole church. When we don't push into worship, when when a church doesn't pray, revival suffers. Not just in the altars, but when the whole church is not praying in their prayer closet, that lacking, that defeat begins to defeat us all. So revival is, is not just one person or three people or ten people. It's everyone coming together in unity in one accord. It's your victory is my victory. Your defeat is my defeat. I've been in churches before where we've had uh, uh, people on our worship team or in uh, our leadership team commit a moral failure with one another. Let me tell you, it didn't just stay with that too. It didn't just, and it went to their families. It went to their kids. It went to the whole church. It went to the community. It went to their extended families. Everybody felt the grief of that defeat. Sin is that way, and, and the devil is doing all he can to put a little bit of trouble into our lives. It just starts with a little bit of trouble in your mind. It starts with a little bit of trouble in your mind or my mind or her mind or his mind, and it begins to war, and it begins to war. And we're, the battle uh, is given to us, though, in the Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. And so here's the deal. What I'm challenging us today is to say this. We all have a personal responsibility for the sake of our churches, for the sake of our families, for the sake of our marriages, to dig up things in our hearts and save everyone else from some trouble. So many times we look at sin as it's my thing, it's my issue, it's not going to hurt anybody. I, I got this thing I'm thinking about, I've got this lust, I've got this pride, I've got this jealousy, I've got this gossip, and, and I'm dealing with it. It's my thing, me and God. It's never just you. The person you're gossiping to is dealing with the same thing you're dealing with. You're giving your issue to them. That's how that works. It's spreading around. It doesn't just stay contained. And so God is interested in your victory today. He wants you to win in this Christian life. And we need to begin to expect a greater victory over sin. And to remember, we are all connected. We're all connected. I think about 
you know, families that, that have been praying for lost loved ones. And when they come into the church, man, they come in. You know what? We all win when that happens. We all win when those are those ones we've been praying for come in. And we, we celebrate with them. We rejoice with them. We, we weep with them. We cry with them. And we say, God, your, your, your victory is my victory. So when we go into connection, we go to confession. So there was these three preachers. They're on a fishing trip. Never ends well when you start this way, right? There's three, these three preachers are on a fishing trip, and they weren't catching anything. And so the one preacher says, you know, it all be good. We're, we're all pastors. Let's want to pray for one another. Man, if there are things you're struggling with, let's just confess, confess to one another, and then we're going to pray for one another. And they say, okay, let's go. Let's, go, let's do that. So the first guy says, hey, well, my biggest sin is sometimes I like to go to the beach, and, man, I really have a hard time not looking at ladies at the beach. And so I struggle there. So okay, okay. The second guy comes in, and they say, "Brother, what's your what's your issue?" And he says, "You know, sometimes on a Monday morning, I take a little bit of cash and I go to the racetrack and I might put a bet on a horse." And he says, "All right, we're gonna pray for you." And then the third guy, they turn and say, hey, "Brother, what's your issue? How can we pray for you?" And he turns and he grins. He says, "What's your biggest issue?" And he looks at him. And he says, "Mine's gossiping." And uh, <laughs> you know, it's a risk, right? It's a risk when you confess something to somebody else. It is. And, it, and, it, and a lot of times you can get burned by it. But confession is good for the soul, and it's a glorifying, it, it was a way to glorify God. And Joshua pleaded with Achan. He says, would you confess? Would you just tell me what happened? Tell me what you did. And in all that long time, of those hours of casting lots and looking through these families, at any time, Achan could have confessed. At any time, no doubt, Achan's family could have confessed. They knew what was in their father's tent. You don't come home one day and wonder, what's all this dirt doing over here uh, in the house? You know, where did this robe come from? God, where, where this, or guys, where did this money come from? They would have noticed. And not one time during all of that, did they just come out and say, okay, okay, guys, they're going to get us. It's going to come out. You know, you ever had that pressure when you stole something, you did something you shouldn't have done, and your mom and dad, you know they're going to figure it out, right? And then you just, you just hide most of the time, and you wait and see if anybody notices. I know, I have a four-year-old, right? And so they concealed it. Achan was concealing sin in his heart, and, and instead of confessing it, it's like fearful, like Adam and Eve, they tried to hide it from God, and Jesus comes on the scene in John 3, and he says, for everyone who does evil hates the light. They, they hate coming to the light for a fear that their deeds will be exposed, but if you practice the truth, those who practice the truth come to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Sin makes us separated from God, and it makes us shameful. It brings regret on us, and, and that fear begins to control us, and it tries to keep us from God. But what God is calling us to today is saying, guys, I love you. I'm a father to you. I want victory for you. That's his heart for us. And we just begin to come out into the light and saying, God, here I am. Heal me. And whether it be sexual immorality, whether it be impurity or greed or foul language or gossip or slander or coarse jokes or coveting, Paul says, all of those things we all deal with, but we're never going to succeed unless we turn from those things and confess our sins to God. How do we get free? How do we get free? James 4 says it this way, 
Number one is realize we are powerless. Realize that the number one thing we're all dealing with, and the reason there's trouble in my marriage probably, not always, the reason there's trouble in my family probably, probably, but not always, and my finances are in my mind, the number one reason we all face trouble is that we have a spiritual battle going on right here, and it's against the flesh and the spirit. My flesh is warring against my mind. My flesh is warring against the Word of God. My flesh doesn't want me to love my wife sacrificially or my spouse sacrificially. My flesh does not want me to be honest. My flesh desires things it shouldn't have. My flesh. And he says the number one reason we're having trouble is that. So here's four things. He says, how do you live free? James 4, 7 through 10. He says, number one, you've got to realize we are a sinner. We're powerless over sin. Number two, it means that we should submit ourselves to God and surrender. So we realize we're a sinner, we're powerless. Number two, we submit ourselves to God and surrender. That means purifying our hearts. That means repenting and mourning over our sins. It's humbling ourselves before Him. So we, we uh, realize we're a sinner. We submit ourselves to God and surrender. Number three, we turn from temptation. He says, resist the devil. And what? He'll flee from you, right? Turn from temptation. Resist the words he's saying against the word of God. He, he will flee from you. And four, come near to God. He comes near to you. God is going to lift you up as you come out of the bushes like Adam and Eve and say, God, I need your grace. I need you to clothe me in the blood of Jesus again. I want to live free. We confess it. That's getting free and living free. There's a check that we always have to have. So that's how we get free, but how we live free is this constant check. Jesus prayed in the Lord's Prayer. He says that we're supposed to, you know, basically examine our hearts, that we confess our sins before God. We, we forgive others as they're forgiving us, and we ask God to keep us from temptation, not deliver us from evil. Well, there's this check, this constant confession before God. James uh, would go on after that and say that you can confess it to an elder. So there's one is confessing to God. That's the healing of the soul. Where 1 John 1, 9 says, confess your sins. God is faithful and righteous to forgive you of those sins and cleanse you. So that's the confession, the healing of the soul. And James says, guys, go to the elders of the church. Confess your sins to one another that you may be what? Healed. I think it's bigger than a physical healing. I think it's a mental healing, a spiritual healing. It's healing for the whole body. Because he goes on and says, hey, we've got to be a community of faith that weeps with those who weeps, rejoices with those who's rejoicing. We're praying for the sick. We're all in this together. You understand? My victory is your victory. Your victory is my victory. Your defeat, my defeat, my defeat, your defeat. Confession is good for the soul. God is the best psychologist. You could go pay hundreds of dollars an hour and talk to this guy or woman about your mom's problems and -and so-and-so's problems. But unless we deal with our problems and go to God's couch and say, God... I know that if I come to you and I say, God, I'm struggling in my mind, I'm struggling in my marriage, I'm struggling at work, God, I'm just going to be honest and come out of the bushes and say, Lord, I know you have victory for me. I know you will forgive me. And so, God, I'm not going to allow this defeat to defeat my life. I'm not going to allow this trouble to defeat my life. And then I'm going to do this. I'm going to find a spiritual mentor, an elder, a leader in the church. And I'm going to be a part of a small group Bible study and I'm going to go regularly. And you know when I'm having trouble and I'm saying, guys, it's been a rough week. Can you pray for me? 
Guys, I have one guy that, I'll, that you can text, or a lady you can text ladies and say, hey, can you pray for me this week? Man, it's been a rough week in my house. You've got to delve into all of your personal problems and all the itty-gritty details. It's probably not their business. They don't need that on their plate either. But there are some times, and most always, I think, we all need a community of faith to keep us accountable. And church, let me say it on the other side. We know who's not doing good. We read it on their faces. And so many times we walk by them. We see their countenance slow. We see them check out of church. We see them check out of worship. There are those that used to out pray out, and they're not praying out anymore. We all notice. We all know. It's our job as a community of faith because we love one another to say, Hey, can I take you out to coffee? Can I have you over to my house? Can I pray for you? Just send them a note. Man, I'm praying for you. I'm rooting for you. I want you to win. Amen? Can we do that? Can we just take that and say, Lord, I'm going to try that. I'm going to keep in mind of the people around me and be, a, be mindful because if they fall, we all lose. Is that not true? If they fall, we all lose. I want us together to say, God, I'm confessing to God. Let's be confessing to one another. Let's be honest. We're all sinners. What we got to hide, right? We all fell short of the glory of God. We all need his grace. We all struggle. We need each other and we need God. Amen? Because here's what happens if we don't. There's condemnation. That's what the devil loves. Man, he wants you to be out there condemned, alone, depressed, defeated. And too many times, like Achan, we think we can live with those little secrets. Nobody knows what's buried in my tent. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Trust me. The people that keep me up at night as a pastor are those who never confessed. Good friends of mine who I would take out to lunch and take out to coffee and invest in their kids, invest in their marriage, come to find out they were having an affair for months. They never confessed it. Man, I would have loved it. I would have embraced them. I would have taken on with them. I would have helped them. But too many times we can live with those little secrets. Too many times we think we can just bury the truth and it'll be a hidden part of our life. And nobody will ever know what's really going on in my mind. Nobody will really know what's really going on in my past. And I want you to look at verse 7, 21, chapter 7, verse 21. There's a little note there. It says, Achan said, all that stuff is in my tent. It's buried in my tent. And the silver is beneath it. Achan had layers of secrets. You know, he had layers of secrets. Maybe he was hiding that for another rainy day. Well, if my wife finds this, she'll only find that, but she really won't find this. There's a kind of a running joke in our staff, and I'll be honest, most people that come into my office, I automatically assume they lie. Because in my decade of ministry, that's true, in my decade of ministry, because we all hide things. We never just, very few people just come out and just say, here's my whole life. And those people I like because I know, you know, you know what you're getting. But it'll be, well, I'm struggling here. And and we'll go and go and go and come to find out, man, it was a lot more than what you led on to begin with. We want to put that best face forward. It's a Facebook society. My life is perfect. I got this perfect kids, perfect marriage. Here's what, you know, B-Feely Photography or whoever is photographing and the beautiful pictures and they're wonderful. And we all put that out there. But man, we know, man, we just argued for a week over paper towels. Man, we're not good. You know, there's things i looking around, everything, shopping lists. There's layers. 
and the forbidden could not be hidden. What was forbidden could not be hidden. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. Another place it says that beware, sin is crouching in your door to Cain, and its desire is to master you. It doesn't stay hidden. Achan desired what he did not deserve. He kept what he could not keep. He hid what he could not have. Perhaps he thought, you know, I deserve to be happy. I put in my dues. Nobody understands what I've been through. I deserve this. I need this. Nobody will know. Nobody will find out. But here's the deal. If he had only waited a few days, God would have given them victory at Ai. And from Ai, God let them keep the plunder. If he had only waited a few days, God would have given him everything he needed. And the Bible says, and Jesus says in Matthew 6, that if we would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, what? All the things... All the things that we really needed will be given to us. If he had just waited on the Lord to provide, he would have been wealthy beyond his means. He would have just waited. That blessing, sir or ma'am, that that person you're thinking about that's not your spouse, it's not going to work out well. Just wait. God's going to give you the blessed marriage you needed, that you've always wanted. Seek after him. Put him first. Listen to his word. Get on your knees and pray. Because if... And if, if not, look what happens to Achan. They take him out to a valley, and because trouble had troubled him, and it troubled his family, it troubled his whole, whole troop, 36 men died for his sin. His family died for his sin. And on that grave, they heaped that pile of stones on top of him. And I can just imagine, if we were to write something on his grave today, it would say something like this. Sin troubled this man and it killed him. His trouble became other people's trouble. It doesn't stay there. And because Achan never came forward and confessed until he was exposed, he was condemned. The Bible says that God's wrath is stored up for those who maintain their disobedience. I believe if any moment Aiken would have ran out of that, if he saw the lots coming, I think if he would have ran out of there and said, it was me, it was me, it was me, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. God, forgive me. Here it is. Give it all back. I believe God could have had mercy on him. But, you know, we may not all be judged for our trouble today, but this is a passage that's parallel of something. Joshua in this passage is Jesus. And the Bible says that there's coming a day when judgment, every person will give an account for what they've done, whether good or bad. And we'll come up to that judgment seat, and we can wait until that very moment, but we're all going to be exposed before God. And for those who've maintained that disobedience, for those who've never confessed their sin before Him, the Bible says there'll be a fiery furnace, an eternal death, and weeping and gnashing of teeth. We all will face judgment. We'll all be exposed in one day, but our choice is this. I want to come to Jesus now before that time where I'm forced to be exposed. I want to come to him and say, God, I'm open and honest. I am messed up. I've got nothing to hide. I can tell uh, my, my brothers in Christ, pray for me. I'm struggling. It's not a big deal. We're so fearful of what other people think. But if we just say, God, I'm only concerned with what you think, Lord. I'm going to live in victory. I know victory is the Lord's and he's given it to me. And so I'm not going to live in defeat any longer. I'm bringing my life to the light. Amen. If we, can, if we would examine ourselves, Paul says, and I close with this, if we would examine ourselves, 
we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet we are judged by the Lord because we're being disciplined so that we'll not be condemned along with the world. It's okay, church. When mom and dad have to get on to you, you know they still love you, right? I want to come to God and say, God, man, here's where I am. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest with my brothers and sisters in Christ and say, man, I, I am, here's where I am. Maybe you've been doing good. Maybe you've been struggling. This is where my marriage is. This is where my family is. This is what I'm going through. We're here. We're a family of faith. We want you to win. Amen? Do you want other people in this room to win? I mean, I'm praying for you. I'm rooting for you to win. Because your win is my win. Amen? I ask the worship team to come. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I'm going to read you this verse. In Hosea chapter 2, verse 15, it talks about Achan and the Valley of Trouble. And he tells this people, he says, guys, in Hosea, and sum it up, God can make your valley of trouble into a door of hope. That's that place where Achan was buried, named the Valley of Trouble. God can make your valley of trouble into a door of hope. That hope, that door, is Jesus Christ today. That door and that hope is Jesus Christ today. Maybe you've been troubled in your mind. The battle has been in your mind. The devil's been warring against you. Maybe it's in your marriage today. Maybe your marriage is troubled. It's okay. No marriage in this room is perfect. We all struggle. We all have problems. We all have issues. We're all human. But we're in this with you today. We want you to win. God wants you to win. God wants your marriage to be blessed And maybe it's your family. Maybe your family has been troubled. Maybe it's a lost loved one, a person in your family that has just been, their sin has become an issue. It's been affecting all of you. It's been affecting your mind. It's been affecting your family, your peace, because they don't have peace. It's been coming into your camp, into your heart. And you say, God, I I just need to give this trouble to you. God, we're in this together. It's whether it be your family, your marriage, or even this church. Church, we want this church to win. God wants this church to win. God wants this church in unity, in love, in one accord, rooted and grounded in love, to know the height, the depths of God's love in this congregation, in this assembly. And it starts first with us saying, God, I'm open and honest with you. And God, I want to be open and honest with my brothers and sisters in Christ because we are in this battle together.